Hey guys, this is Phil, and this is the Vision Podcast. We're glad you're listening in. This past Sunday, we talked about hunger. And so all I can say is, fasten your seatbelt, get your Bible, get your journal, and a pen, and dig into what God has for you today, because it's going to be good. Enjoy the podcast. Well, open your Bibles, if you would. Let's, uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I'm just going to speak to you from my heart this morning. <clears throat> when, when I was a teenager and I was growing up, I had some neighbors, and um, I liked to hang out their house for a couple of reasons. They had a lot of kids. They had nine kids. Uh, all of them were girls except one, so now you know why I was hanging out over there. And uh, he was next to the youngest, so... Anyway, but in my, during my teenage years, we would get together and we would play these board games. And one time we were playing this board game and their parents came down the steps. And when they walked down the steps, they were both wearing these matching sweatshirts. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not a big fan of wearing matching clothes with my wife sometimes. She almost bought a jacket I had once and I just went, and she didn't. So I was kind of glad. But anyway, I, you know... We'll match at some point. Uh, but anyway, and they were matching, matching sweatshirts. And on the sweatshirt, in bold letters, it said, stay hungry. And so I asked them, I said, what does that mean? What does that mean, stay hungry? And they said, well, you know, Phil, when you've been married as long as we have, it's important to stay hungry. It's important to keep the fire burning, keep the embers hot, keep it going. And how many of you know that when you have a fire and the embers are warm, it's easy when you throw a piece of dead wood on there for that to ignite and to keep burning, isn't it? And it keeps burning, and it keeps the fire burning in us. And so I want to read to you out of Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 6. It says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. How many of you have ever been hungry before? You've been on a fast? How many of you have ever done a water fast for a week? Really? I don't have one? Okay, thanks. I got one person. I didn't pull my glasses. So how many, so, so you know, you, can, you go through different hunger pains, don't you? If you've ever been on a water fast, which I have, and you go through it, you're, it's like you go through these different levels of hunger. You thought you could experience hunger before, but no, 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 not until you get to this point. And you go through these different hunger pains, and what you discover is hunger is a big motivator, isn't it? It motivates you to do what? To eat. That's our physical body. Our physical body needs food, right? We eat to live, right? Some people live to eat, but we eat to live, you know, and your spirit man, though, works a little differently. Your spirit man, you, when you eat, that's when you get more hungry. So many different food companies try to develop some kind of a snack, some kind of, whether it be chips, whether it be candy, whatever it is, but they, they want you to want more, right? And so they make it to where it, you can't just have one. That's the way, yeah, okay, I got one, amen. Good. So my, I'm not alone in this, but my, so my wife, she will portion bags, you know, sometimes with snacks because she knows that if you buy a bag of chips, I will sit down and I will knock out that entire bag. Just leave it up to me. I'll take one for the team, right? 
But so the word of God is like this. Spending time with Jesus, spending time on our knees, spending intimate time with him is like this because it pulls you toward him to where you want more. You want more of him. And so when you eat spiritually and you you spend time in the word, you spend time in prayer, you spend time on your knees and intimate time with him, it makes you more hungry. And that's important. Because sometimes we as Christians, and, and we, can try, we can come to a place sometimes to where we are almost, we, we want to coast because we've had success. Well, I've read the Bible. Okay. You know, I'm, I've read it. I, I, I've been all the way through the Bible. I read it, I read it in a year one time. Okay. Well, that's great. But you've got to throw another piece of wood on the fire. What happens when you leave the fire alone? It dies. What do you constantly have to do with the fire? You have to stir it up. You have to put another piece of dead wood on there. Dead stuff, by the way, it it burns really good. And so when we die and we put our dead stuff on the embers of of the flame that we have for our Father, then guess what? It burns brighter and it burns brighter and it burns brighter. The more I die, the brighter I burn. Isn't that good news? Yeah. It's the dying part that's not fun. It's the dying part that's not fun. But see, sometimes people can't tell when they're dead. We have this tree in our backyard, and we're not familiar with this kind of tree. It produces a a fruit, and if my wife was here, she would be able to help me right now and tell you what it is, but I am not a horticulturalist, so however you say that, so I don't know what kind of tree it is. All I know is it's in my backyard. And what happened was... One, one season, I noticed that it was green. The leaves came in, spring, you know, spring had sprung, and all of these leaves, it was nice and green. And then halfway through the season, only two-thirds of the tree or three-quarters of the tree were green. And I thought, why are those limbs not? I wonder, I guess that limb isn't doing very well. Well, eventually, all the leaves began to fall off and it, because the tree was dying. I didn't know it, but now... I have a dead tree in my backyard, which is going to turn into firewood here pretty soon. You know, but, but sometimes we as Christians, when we don't feed on the word and we've had a level of success, we were hungry for God and we had this moment in our life where we really went after him and then we coasted and we didn't know it, but our tree was dying because you can't tell that a tree is dead. A tree that's been alive for a long time, it takes a long time to die. And so that's why sometimes we don't, we don't see that our hunger is waning for him and for his presence until we get other, around other people that have the fire on the inside of them. <clears throat> wow, and that oil of the Holy Spirit, man, he's what keeps the flame burning in us. I loved uh, when Bill Johnson used this example because I really connected with Rocky III when I was a teenager. That came out at like the height of my teenage years. And of course, all of us wanted to be like Rocky, right? We wanted to get in the gym. Come on, man. And we wanted to get in the gym and we, and we just wanted to train for something. We had no idea what, but it was just an inspiring movie. But the thing in that movie that was interesting is that Rocky has now reached a level of success after Rocky II where he beat Apollo Creed. And so now he's very wealthy. 
Now he can ride the wave of success. And Mick made a powerful statement in Rocky III, and he said, see, the worst thing happened to you that could happen to any fighter. He said, you got civilized. And you remember, he wanted to fight. He wanted to fight Clubber Lang, man, you know, and so he's training, but he's training. He didn't go to the old gym. He rented this nice posh place, and they're playing orchestras playing over in the corner, and people, and they're selling stuff, and Mick is frustrated. He's going, come on, let's get out of here. Let's get back in the old gym where the blood and the sweat and the tears are in, and I feel like that's a cry for us. That's a call for this generation this generation of Christians to get back in the old gym, to come back to the first love that it talks about in Revelation. Amen. And so I want to read to you out of, if you're in, uh, you have your Bible, turn over to John 4. Turn over to John 4. See, Jesus said, Jesus said, I have food that you know nothing about. I'm going to get there in a minute, but see, God wants to bring us to a place of provision, where we hunger after him and he provides for us what we need spiritually. You remember Joseph, you remember in the midst of famine, when his entire family moved to Egypt, Joseph supplied food for all 70 of his family, a daily allotment from Pharaoh's table. So in the midst of famine, they are eating well. And so that's what God wants to do for you and I, because he wants you and I to live well on his food so that we're not moved by famine. We're not moved by bad reports. We're not moved by what's going on on the television or on news or in politics. It doesn't phase us because we know that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And we know that we can have peace when the rest of the world wants to throw in the towel. So in the midst of famine, you and I can stay full. So Jesus said in this verse that we're getting ready to read, he said, I have food that you know nothing about. So over there in John chapter four, you remember Jesus is traveling and he comes to this area where there's Jacob's well and there's this Samaritan woman that comes out because the disciples had left. Jesus was tired after the long journey and he wanted something to eat. The disciples went to go get something to eat and here comes this Samaritan woman to the well to draw something out. And Jesus turns to her and he says, could I have a drink? And you remember, they have a conversation in this. And and so once he gets done talking to her, the disciples are coming back from town. They have the food and they see Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman and they're wondering, why is he talking to her? I wonder what he's talking to her about. And when they come up, they said, here, master, eat. And they brought the food to him and Jesus says, a powerful statement. He says, I have food you know nothing about. And they looked at each other. They said, well, what happened? I mean, does, did the woman feed him? How, where did he get food? And he said, my food is to do. And this, what it, this is what it says in verse 34. He says, my nourishment in the NLT comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work, from doing his will, finishing his work. So I want to give you a couple of keys to stay hungry this morning couple of keys to stay hungry. One, this is very important, is thanksgiving. Why is that important? Because anything that we're thankful for increases in our life. Anything that we appreciate, appreciates in our life. See, humility and hunger are expressions 
of thankfulness. I'll say it again. Humility and hunger are expressions of thankfulness. Another thing is honor. Honor what he has given to us. This is important. So you may may have more than me, but what that should do in me is it should create a lustful pursuit, not a wrong lustful pursuit, but a 1 Corinthians 14 pursuit where I earnestly seek those gifts that I see in you. Your life to me should be motivating that I want, I want what you have. I was honored to serve a guy named Terry and he worked on staff at the same church that I did back in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, and when we worked on staff together, um, he, he had a different way of operating in ministry. And so uh, the pastor had given him the mandate that they wanted a Bible school like Victory College, a Bible school in every nation of the earth. So right now, there's about 192, 193 nations. That changes every year, you know, because of civil wars and stuff. But, and so that was the goal. And so what Terry did was he began to think outside of the box, and he began to talk to business people, and he began to talk to uh, relationships and people that he got connected with that he knew who had resources. And he began to share the vision and people began to give finances into that ministry. And so what they were able to do is, is the pastor had blessed them. They had, they had been given the old uh, Osfo building. That's uh, T.L. Osborne's old building. Uh, but, but it was an old building. It was in need of repair and modifications had not been done for many years. And so what God enabled him to do was through sowing vision and the resources that other people had, they, they were able to redo all of the offices, make them brand new. They got now, I, it's, I know it's over 100 Bible schools, 100, 100 different nations where they have Bible schools now as a result of that campaign. But Terry told me this because I came to him one time and I said, Terry, how did you raise the money? How did you, how were you able to do what you were able to do at at the church? Because he said, you know, it's interesting. He said, everybody that worked on staff, they, they thought that the pastor was slipping me money under the table. Because they'd look over at our area and they'd see that we had new furniture and that we were able to re, rebuild our, our offices and that we were putting Bible schools in every nation. He said, nobody ever came to me once and asked me, how do you do this? He said, you're the first one. That blew me away. Man. But by honoring what Terry was doing... I got the answer for how to do it in my life and in my wife's life. Man, thank you, God. But however, if what you have causes you to look down on, if some, what somebody else's have causes you to look down on what you have, then you get robbed of the enjoyment of it by comparison because you're comparing yourself with other people. And you never increase when you degrade what you have when you look down at what you have. And so God has called us to steward what we have well because that's what brings increase into our life when we take care of it, you know? I remember Zach wanted a dog when he was uh, younger. I'm not gonna say his age because I wouldn't know it if you asked me. Uh, but he was a little guy. And, and Becca had a dog 
And Zach wanted a dog. And so he said, well, I'm going to sew into Becca's dog. And do you know what he did? He got up early. And you walked little Shadow, didn't you? Walked him uh, every morning. And he began to feed Shadow. He began to let Shadow out because we didn't have a backyard with a fence. We, you had to go out there with him, you know. And, and he sewed into Shadow. And then God blessed him with his own little Max, right? Little Max. All right. Good Max. All right, 1 Corinthians 3. You don't have to turn there. I'll just share this with you real quick because I want to move on to something else. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 2 says, I had to feed you with milk. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. I had to feed you milk and not solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger. So Paul says this. So from this, I want you to understand this. Milk is something that someone gives to you. But meat is something you go and get. Milk is something that others feed to you. Because some people come to church and they go, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm ready to get fed, man. Bring the meat, Pastor Phil. Yeah, well, you don't want me to get a fork and feed your mouth. You don't. Meat, you're supposed to go get. Get your gun out. Zach and I saw three deer across the street in front of us this morning. Two doe and a buck. And he was a good size. And I thought, oh. How many hunters would love to be right here right now and get some meat? Amen. All right. So, so hunger will cause you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Why? Because with hunger comes a desperation. Do you remember, uh, turn over to 2 Kings and we'll look at this. 2 Kings chapter 7. You remember the story about these four lepers. They were sitting outside the gates of Israel and they're outside the gates, but there's a famine inside the city. Why? Because the Armenian army is laying, is besieging the city. And nobody can come out and nobody can come in. And so what's happening is in the city, people are beginning to starve. Well, these four lepers are starving as well. And they're sitting outside of the city gates. And as they're sitting there, they have this epiphany. They have this amazing thought. You know what? We... We don't need to lay here until we die. We know we're going to die. And we can't go in the city because they're dying in there. We might as well go and surrender to the Armenian army because if they kill us, they're doing us a favor. We're going to die anyway. But who knows? They might just take us captive and we might actually get something to eat. And so they decide we're going to go to the Aramean army. And so these four lepers get up and they start walking toward the Aramean, to this army, this enemy. And as they're walking, guess what happens? The Aramean army begins to take off running. They leave their stuff. They leave all their clothing and all their, all their supplies and their money and their animals. And they leave. Why? Because they heard a rumble of a sound of a mighty army that was approaching. And they said to themselves, Israel has hired the Egyptians and they're coming to destroy us. And here comes this army, right? Only then, so they all flee. They all take off. Only when the dust clears, guess who's standing there? Four lepers. What's going on? And then they look around and they're like, hello, hello, hello. Nobody's around. So they go in the tents and they start eating. And they're like, oh, this is good. Oh, wow. And they're eating all this food. And then they're taking some of the wealth and they're going and they're hiding it. And then they come to their senses and realize, you know what? 
wait a minute. We need to go and tell the people in the city because they're starving. This is good news. God has brought about a deliverance for us. And they do. And they go. And they saved many, many people as a result of that. So when you're hungry, my point is this, is you're willing to do things you wouldn't normally do. Why? Because there's a desperation on the inside of you that is not going to be satisfied with anything less than him. Mm. Man, desperation causes boldness to come over you. Wow, 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 wow. So uh, in, in John chapter six, if you want to flip over there, I know I didn't read the last verse, but at least you know where it was. In John chapter six, Jesus had done a miracle. He'd fed the 5,000. But then what happened when they fed all of these people, suddenly the people started chasing after Jesus. And he left and they pursued him. And they came after him. And this is what Jesus said to them when they caught up with him. In verse 26, Jesus said this. He said, let me take this very, let me make this very clear. You came looking for me because I fed you by a miracle, not because you believe in me. Wow. Verse 27, he goes on to say, why would you strive for food that is perishable and not be passionate to seek the food of eternal life, which never spoils? I, the son of man, am ready to give you what matters most for God the Father has destined me for this purpose. So here's my question. Do we seek the hand of God or do we seek the face of God? Do we seek, because these people were seeking what he could do for them. They're thinking, oh, we don't have to hunt anymore. Oh, we don't have to go down to the market and try to buy anything. Why? Because Jesus can just break the bread and thank God and he'll multiply it and he'll bless us. They're missing the point. Jesus is saying, wait, no, you need the bread of life. See, Jesus is the bread of life. Bethlehem means house of bread, and to the house of bread came the bread of life. When you eat him, you're satisfied, and you hunger for more, right? In fact, Jesus said this over in that same chapter in verse 53. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, listen to this eternal truth. Unless you eat the body of the Son of Man. Now, this was a real popular message. It was so popular that everybody left. Like he cleaned out the church with this statement. Listen to the eternal truth. Unless you eat the body of the Son of Man and you drink his blood, you will not have eternal life. Eternal life comes when the one who eats my body and drinks my blood, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my body is real food for your spirit, and my blood real drink. Man, the one who eats my body and drinks my blood lives in me and I live in him. The father of life sent me and he is my life. In the same way, the one who feeds upon me, I become his life. I am not like the bread of your ancestors who ate and later died. I am the living bread that comes from heaven. Eat this bread and you will live forever. Now, that was out of the Passion Translation, but I want to go back to verse 54 because he talked about the body. And this is what it had to say down in the footnotes because, the, you know, the Passion Translation was translated out of the Aramaic. It says this. It says, this eating and drinking is receiving the life, power, and virtue of all that Jesus is to replace all that we were in Adam. 
Remember, Adam fell. You and I were born into that fallen state. But who, who was Jesus? Jesus is the second Adam, right? And so it says this, that Jesus' blood and body is the tree of life. That is powerful. Jesus, Jesus' blood and body is the tree of life, which is offered to everyone who follows him. Mm. Didn't Jesus say that to the woman at the well? Let me read that to you because back in, in, in chapter four, verse 13, it says, Jesus said to her, he said, anyone who drinks this water will soon be thirsty again. He's talking about the water that she's getting out of the well. But, in, but those who drink the water that I give them will never thirst again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Wow. Becca, come on up. Help me out. So your spiritual life depends upon the consumption of his word, of his body and his blood. The condition of our spiritual being is based on our consumption of him. Man, that is so so good. So I want, I want to submit this to you. All through the Bible, all through history, all through the Old Testament, and you read, like, for instance, the book of Judges, and the Judges talks about all the different people that God raised up. Why? Because Israel would sin, and then they would fall into bondage, and then what would happen? Then... God would send a judge who would rescue them, right? He sent Gideon. He sent Samson. He sent all these different mighty men and women of God. Remember Deborah? Mighty men and women that God sent to deliver Israel. Why? Because they cried out to him. Because they became so desperate, so hungry, for him, for his presence, for deliverance, that they began to cry out. What if Jesus was brought to the earth when he was brought to the earth because people were crying out for the Messiah to come? All creation was mourning for the Messiah to finally come. The children of Israel, if you go back and you read about when they were in Egypt, and when God came to Moses and he said, I need a judge, I need a savior, I need someone that will go and will deliver the people of Israel from Egypt. And you know what had happened was God told Moses this at the burning bush. He said, I have heard the cry of my people. What if your cries really make a difference? What if yours and my cry pull on the heart of God and put a demand and the faith that's on the inside of us to draw out of heaven what we need on the earth. What if your faith has the ability to do that? Because God said, I've heard their cry and I can no longer tolerate it. I've got to come down and deliver them from the Egyptians. In, uh, in Exodus 2, that's exactly what I've been reading. It's actually found in verse 23. It says, years passed, the king of Egypt died. 
But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And see, you and I, if you're born again in here, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you have entered a covenant with him. See, we're keeping a covenant this morning, right? We're participating in gathering together. God said, hey, don't forsake the gathering together of the saints. And so here we are together. And he said, where two or three of you are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of you. He said to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. I'm not here to debate what that day is, but I am here to put you in remembrance that we're doing that. We're honoring the Sabbath today. Why? Because that's a perpetual um, commitment. It's a perpetual covenant that we are living in remembrance of. We don't just come to church for no reason. We don't just come here just to, hey, let's get together. Hey, I got an idea, let's start a church. No, we are keeping covenant with God. We are keeping covenant with Him. And so He looks down on the people. And it says in verse 25, He says, He looked down on the people of Israel and He knew it was time to act. So if the cries of the saints, if the cries of God's children pulls Him down, to earth to be our savior and it puts a demand of faith it puts a it puts a pull on god that god comes to a place where he says i i can no longer not act i've got to do something i'm i'm going to come down and i'm going to deliver my people well hebrews 13 8 says jesus christ is the same yesterday today forever so if what he said yesterday is true it's true for you today. And you know what? You're under a new and better covenant with Him. That is such good news. That is huge. You and I have this amazing covenant with Him. And we can pray in faith. Everything that we do as a Christian has to be by faith. Why? Because it puts the draw on heaven. It puts a pull on heaven. And so I have, I have this interesting statement to make because I was reading John G. Lake and, I, and he was talking about spiritual hunger and he was talking about the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter nine. And he was talking about how deliverance, there was a set time for deliverance from the Babylonians and it was year 70, but deliverance didn't come. And so Jeremiah, reckoned, or Jeremiah was the one that prophesied it and that was who Daniel was referencing. And so what did Daniel decide to do? What he did all along. Daniel was the kind of guy that threw his windows open to the east and he kneeled down three times a day and he prayed and he cried out to God. He put on sackcloth and he put on ashes and he said, Lord, we have a, we have a prophecy from Jeremiah that you said deliverance was going to come and he began to cry out to God. And what did God do? He sent an answer. So this is what John G. Lake went on to say, and I, I probably should have brought that to read it to you because it was man, so powerful. But he ended with this. He said, what if the second coming of Jesus, the second coming of Christ is not a predetermined mechanical day that God has? But what if it's dependent upon the cries of you 
what if God is waiting on us? We're not waiting on Him. Well, God, how bad are you going to let this be? It's so easy to pass the buck, isn't it? When God handed you the dollar bill, He gave it to you. He gave it to me. And it's easy to pass the buck and say, oh, you know, I mean, well, He's God. He's sovereign. He's going to do what He wants. No, He has set this thing up so that you and I have faith and we have a covenant. There's two sides to every covenant. Any of you ever done marriage counseling? You hear, one side sounds really good until you hear the other. And what I found is that when you hear both sides, somewhere in the middle you find the truth. Right? And so there's two sides to this covenant. We can't push this thing off on God and say, well, you know, only God knows the time. No, it could it be that he's waiting on the cry for, of Maranatha from his kids. Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come. And it's not that we want to escape. It's that we are accepting our responsibility on our side of the covenant to, re, to put a demand on his side of the covenant. Wow. Wow, we got to refuse to be silent, guys. Come on, the children of Israel cried out to God. Two blind men cried out to Jesus. They refused to be silent. What happened? They were healed. The, the blind Bartimaeus, remember, he refused to be silent. They tried to shut him up, and he said, Uh-uh. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What did Jesus say? Bring him here. Bring him here. What about the woman that was a Gentile? She cried out after Jesus. He ignored her. She cried out after his disciples. His disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, do something. This woman is irritating us. And she finally comes before Jesus and she says, Lord, please heal my child. And Jesus said, it's not right for me to take the bread of the children of Israel and throw it to the dogs. Now, I don't know about you, but somebody just was called a dog right then. But she didn't, it didn't bother her. Why? She's determined. She is leaving with a miracle. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. Now, I think about our two dogs we have. Um, actually, my wife has a dog, and then Becca has a dog. And so we have these two dogs. Every time I get, I have a nut mix that I like to eat. And, you know, it's got everything from pecans and walnuts to, to just a whole mix and raisins in there and stuff and, and I and I will every time I get that out here come the dogs and they sit down and they're like the tails are wagging and they're just like okay I'm ready for my pecan I always give them a little piece of pecan man this is this woman she's standing there going yes Lord yes Lord yes Lord and what happened she walked away with a miracle man we cannot be silent Ten lepers cried out to Jesus. They were healed. Jairus cried out to Jesus. We could go on and on. The woman with the issue of blood. All the people that came to Jesus, they cried out to him. They got their answer. Why? Hungry. Hunger. And so I just feel that this morning is a cry. For us to get hungry, to come back to our 
first love, to get back in that gym where the blood, the sweat, the tears happened. I was, uh, <clears throat> I was at a meeting the other night on Friday night and there was a, it was a prophetic assembly and, and so there were a lot of different pastors there and, and men of God and, and although I, I love prophecy, I don't, I don't feel like it's a huge gift for me. I'm, I'm more prophetic when I'm one-on-one versus in a group setting. And so, you know, they, so they just had, they had me pray at the beginning and I said, okay, yeah, I'm good with that because, you know, that's really more my flow. I mean, I'm just here to experience God, you know, and so I, so I prayed and anyway, and one of the guys that got up, he began to share about all the different words that have been spoken over the state of Arkansas. We know, we, we know Corey Tim Boone, God gave her uh, several words over Arkansas that revival would burst out from Arkansas. But one of the words over this state has been that Arkansas would be a refuge that it's a place of refuge. In fact, there's even a family, he was telling about actual family, moved here with several others, and they lived in a cave during the nuclear, what, what was supposed to be the nuclear fallout back in the 80s. And they moved into a cave, literally, so that they would be protected from a nuclear fallout. And, and they, why'd they come here? Refuge, refuge. So yesterday, I'm, I'm, I'm studying all about the flood and the ark. And, and I'm learning about the ark of God and learning about Noah and what God did. And as I'm thinking about this ark, I'm realizing, wait a minute, ark, ark, Arkansas, Arkansas. Wait a minute. The ark is the first three letters of our state. And ark means place of refuge. Well, that's not the only place of refuge. There was another ark. How many of you know what that ark was? The ark of the covenant. It's a place of refuge. Why? It's where his presence is. That you and I can run into his presence. Would you bow your heads with me this morning all across the room? If you're here and you are saying to yourself, I'm not hungering after God the way I did. I've let it wane. I've let other things get in the way. I've, I've let other things become the priority. And I am not going to live like that anymore. I am going to go after God with everything that is inside of me, everything that I have. He is becoming the priority. I'm making him the priority today. If that's you, I want you to boldly raise your hand all around the room. If that's you, all around the room, all around the room. Come on, come on, come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, let's all stand together. I want those of you that raise your hand, I want you to come to the altar. This is for you. This is not for us. This is not so that we can have a number. This is not so we can say, oh yeah, this many people answer the altar call. I don't, I don't answer those kinds of questions. It's not what I'm looking for. But what I'm looking for is hungry hearts, people that are hungry for God. We're not satisfied with where we've been. And so we-